0: The Interchange is brought to you by STEM. STEM is a global leader in artificial intelligence-driven energy storage services. By combining advanced energy storage solutions with Athena, a world-class AI-powered analytics platform, STEM enables customers and partners to optimize energy use by automatically switching between battery power, on-site generation, and grid power for both behind-the-meter and in front-of-the-meter projects. Find out more at STEM.com. The Interchange is also brought to you by our very own GTM Creative Strategies. That is a unit here inside GTM that works with companies to get their stories told. If you've ever heard one of our custom podcasts and you've thought, how do I get my company involved? Well, turn to GTM Creative Strategies. From concept to execution, we develop goals, build impactful campaigns, and help you deliver a compelling message to the energy industry's most engaged audience. Visit greentechmedia.com slash creative to learn more.
1: Green Tech Media Podcast.
0: This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey. I'm a contributing editor at GTM. Hello, welcome. You know, before the pandemic, one of the biggest news stories of the year was BlackRock's decision to make climate risk a central part of its investment strategy. This is not your average family office. This is BlackRock, a company with $7 trillion under management. It brought more mainstream attention to ESG, or Environmental Social Governance. It's this push to create funds or pressure companies to factor a broad range of ethical issues into their business practices because those practices have actual financial value. The concept isn't new, but activity has ramped way up in the last few years, and BlackRock's splashy climate declaration only ramped it up further. It's also a world that is not well-defined, not well-regulated, and still not fully proven. So this week, the wild world of ESG. And my co-host Shale Khan has been looking into this. He's going to get us up to speed. Hello, Shale. Hello, Stephen.
1: It is apocalypse now there in Northern California, huh? It's not great, I tell you. We had... Some of the weirdest weather that I've seen here followed immediately and not coincidentally by now an early onset to the wildfire season. So I am watching ash rain down outside my window as we speak. And do you have
0: air filters running in your house?
1: We do, um, because I guess, unfortunately, we have been through this before and we've had a couple of bad wildfire seasons since we moved back to California four years ago. So we have a couple of air filters that are running at full blast. Um using electricity that is going to be scarce later this afternoon to uh, get further into the weirdness that California is experiencing at the moment. But um, yeah, it's, it's okay inside, it seems to be getting worse and worse outside. Well, this injects a little urgency and reality into
0: our conversation around ESG, which can be a little full of jargon. So um, I was doing some searching around, and as far as I can tell, the term ESG came out mid-2000s, around 2005. But social responsible investing has been around long before that. So why are we suddenly having this conversation around ESG today? Like, what is
1: it and how does it differ from what has been around for decades before? So I think you're right that it's not new. Corporate social responsibility is a term that has been used for much longer. And I think somewhere in the mix, also, sustainability um, has been used as a term All three of those, corporate social responsibility, sustainability, and ESG um, often mean the same thing, but also all three of them, as you alluded to in the intro, are somewhat ill-defined, so it depends who you're talking to. But I think the reason why it's worth us going deep on ESG now is that it has become really big in the world of investing writ large and as a result in the world of corporates. in a very short period of time and in a way that I don't think we ever saw before with any of the previous iterations in the corporate social responsibility or the sustainability world. So ESG, in my mind, is important now to basically any corporate or any investor, uh, and that makes it worth talking about.
0: Okay, so let's define our terms here. ESG, environmental social governance. What does that mean exactly? Right,
1: so it's those are three separate categories. Um, upon which you can score a company or a fund or something like that. And then within each of those, there's, as you can imagine, a whole bunch of subcategories. So starting with environmental performance, we're predominantly, I think, these days talking about climate change, um, both transition risk and physical risk to any given company associated with climate change. But it's more than just climate change, even just within environmental. We're also talking about things like uh, air and water pollution, waste management, biodiversity, and impact on forests. So broad performance against uh, environmental metrics. Then there's social, which also has a bunch of subcategories within it. You can think of things like gender diversity, human rights standards, labor standards, employee engagement, customer satisfaction some kind, sometimes gets thrown within there. And then there's governance. Um, which also has a bunch of things within it, board composition, executive composition, how strong is the governance from those groups, bribery, corruption, um, all those kinds of policies. So what we've done with ESG is we've taken these somewhat disparate individual categories and grouped them all together into this thing called ESG, which is intended to measure uh, any given actor's performance Against this wide array of social and environmental characteristics. But the fundamental premise here is that strong ESG performance against all these things in aggregate should result in better overall performance for that company, for that fund, better financial performance. So the idea here is ESG is not supposed to be discretionary. This is supposed to be metrics you should be incorporating into your financial analysis, just like you would be incorporating financial metrics themselves.
0: And that feels fundamentally different. That If you take a look at traditional ethical investing or socially responsible investing, ESG is very directly tied to a supposed or a real financial benefit.
1: I think there have been a lot of people who've been saying for a long time that social responsibility or sustainability are correlated with financial performance. I think what's different is that now there is a much larger group of actors and and probably most importantly, um, a gigantic pot of money that b- believes it or at least states that it believes it. So how big is ESG then? So it's hard to define because there's a bunch of different ways that a, you as a financial manager can incorporate ESG into your investment criteria. But the easiest is just to look for ESG-specific funds, those funds that say we are specifically an ESG or a sustainability fund, not just we will exclude companies that don't meet certain ESG criteria, but specifically proactively we are a fund. Morningstar tracks those and found that um, – the total dollars under management in those ESG funds crested over a trillion dollars in the second quarter of this year. It's been growing pretty rapidly for the past three years or so. Um, there are other estimates that if you incorporate all of the sort of negative exclusionary criteria and funds that just incorporate any sort of ESG thinking into their uh, into their criteria, then it might be closer to thirty trillion globally. Huge amounts of money. Investors with $80 trillion under management have signed up to a commitment to integrate ESG information into their investment decisions. You know, it's it's growing fast. Uh, the trillion dollars that Morningstar tracked, that's up 23% from the previous quarter. So, you know, that's those are big numbers. And that's not including, I think, a lot of private market ESG capital. Certainly, we see this at, at EIP when we are raising capital as well. as a ton of money that's focused on on ESG. So it has become big enough, and having spoken to enough corporates about this, I can say this pretty definitively, it has become big enough that you cannot afford not to have an ESG strategy. And we'll talk later about, I think, what that means if you are a company at this point, whether you are a large public company or even a small private company or a startup. You need to understand ESG and you need to understand how you are performing within it. There are now hundreds
0: of funds devoted to ESG. And the big question is um, how you rate those funds and how you, you apply standards to them. And we'll get into that. The question that I have is what's the catalyst here? I mentioned BlackRock's big announcement at the beginning of this year. One of a couple different announcements that BlackRock CEO Larry Fink has made in shareholder letters. For the last couple of years, he has focused on equity issues uh, like gender equity issues on broader social principles and then this year climate change so ESG has become an increasing part of BlackRock's investment strategy both for passive and active investments and I mean while we've the last few years we've heard more about ESG popularity the BlackRock thing seemed to be a catalyst
1: what do you put as a turning point i do think that larry fink the ceo of blackrock's letter was a marquee moment but i think it's been in general more of a rapid but steady build than you know these individual step function changes i think what's convenient about esg as it is defined is that it contains within it a number of simultaneously growing trends Um, one being the trend toward understanding climate risk. And that was what that big letter that shook the financial earth from, from Larry Fink was all about. But as you mentioned, you know, ESG on the S side also includes things like gender diversity. And there's been a big push for, for example, gender diversity and gender equality within pay standards on boards, in a bunch of different contexts. And so that also gets wrapped up within ESG. And so because all these individual trends are occurring on their own and can get put under the same umbrella, I think it just gets continued support. And the other thing I think that is happening is like these large institutional asset managers are, you know, doing their own work and coming around to a, I think, true belief that. ESG actually is correlated with financial performance over the long term. And as a result, there's just an increasing body of evidence that that's true. And so, what has happened
0: as 2020 has unfolded and we've seen a recession and an economic calamity? It turns out that companies integrating ESG practices, ESG funds, are performing pretty well.
1: Yeah. You know, two things are happening that are related to each other so far in 2020. The first is that as I said before, more funds, more dollars are flowing into these ESG-linked securities as time goes on. So 70 billion new net new dollars flowed into ESG funds in the second quarter of this year alone. And that is probably related to the fact that um, ESG-linked securities have outperformed the market so far this year. And the market's been weird, as we know, so far this year, right? Like COVID crashed the market and then the market came back much faster than anybody expected um throughout that time actually you know broadly defined esg-linked securities have been relatively resilient to the to the swings um relatively being the operative term like it's a volatile market regardless but performance has been strong and so you know that's a very brief period in time and i don't think you can draw super strong conclusions from it but uh, i think it, it is fuel for the fire um uh, of the belief that ESG has real merit. The other thing that's been happening is that, as we've talked about before, there's a bunch of companies that are suddenly becoming public companies that I think are, are scoring well on ESG criteria. So Nicolo would be a good example of that because they're going to score very well, particularly on the, the E within ESG. Um, and those securities have performed extraordinarily well. The SPAC attack is ongoing thus far. And so that, you know. That plus all this other stuff is just like adding kindling to this bonfire.
0: But is the bonfire going to get out of control? Ratings are a problem. There's a lot of variation in how ratings are issued. There's a lot of confusion in the market still. So we're going to get into why this is still very messy. First, the interchange is brought to you by Stem. Stem is the world's largest network of energy storage systems with over 790 megawatt hours deployed around the globe in more than 1,000 sites. By combining advanced energy storage solutions with Athena, an AI-powered analytics platform, Stem enables customers and partners to optimize energy use by automatically switching between battery power, on-site generation, and grid power for both behind-the-meter and front-of-the-meter projects. Stem supports more than 360 customers all over the world to benefit from clean, adaptive energy infrastructure infrastructure, achieve a wide range of goals, including expense reduction, resilience, sustainability, environmental responsibility, and corporate innovation. STEM also offers full support for solar partners interested in adding storage to standalone community or commercial solar projects. To learn more about STEM and specifically their front of meter solution, join us on a GTM hosted webinar on Tuesday, September 8th. You can sign up for that at stem.com. The Interchange is also brought to you by GTM Creative Strategies. You've got a story to tell, and we're here to help you tell it, whether it be through webinars, white papers, or custom podcasts. GTM Creative Strategies leverages unmatched editorial credibility and the top creative minds to help drive unparalleled brand awareness that puts you ahead of your competitors. Want to get working with a talented and creative team to build a comprehensive marketing program? Go to greentechmedia.com slash creative to get started. So, Shale, this all sounds... Wonderful. What's the problem?
1: The problem is that ESG is a mess. (laughs) How messy? Extremely messy. Um, Despite, I think, being well-intended and ultimately probably a good thing for the world, what has happened in the absence of any uniformity and in the absence generally of regulation, is that there's been this burgeoning of different independent players who all want to have their say about what ESG means and how individual companies should be scored. So uh, I'll try to, I guess, walk you through the landscape to start, and then we should talk about the problems with the landscape as it exists. So first you've got a number of reporting frameworks. These are independent nonprofit bodies who are basically saying, "Okay, if you want to report on your corporate sustainability or on your uh, climate risk, here are the metrics that you should be reporting." Here, sometimes it's sectoral, so it's sector specific, um, or you know, here are the here's a template to do so. So this would be like the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. SASB, which is the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, the Carbon Disclosure Project, GRI. There's a there's a few of these. Right. And so let's start there. Multiple different frameworks or metrics to report against. Some of these are trying to be friendly with each other and and interrelate. Some of them are totally independent. Then you've got what is now, by some counts, over 150 independent ratings providers right, who are trying to score individual companies on ESG, either using data that is gleaned from the company's annual sustainability report or the company's TCFD reporting or their SASB reporting, or gleaning some additional information from out in the public sphere. So now there's a bunch of companies that are using natural language processing on news information um, and using that to try to surface ESG performance and ESG risk. So you've got literally over 100 of these companies out there producing independent scores, including among them many of the companies who produce uh, the financial scores for for large corporates. So we've seen within the past 18 months, Morningstar, S&P, Moody's, MSCI, NASDAQ have all made acquisitions in this space. So they're emerging strong players. But of course, there's this crop of totally independent third-party ratings. Then... Above that, you've got the actual asset managers and the investors, the ones who are going to make the investment decisions based on ESG criteria. They may be relying on one or some combination of these third-party ratings providers. They may be doing their own analysis purely based on the reporting that a company does according to one of these standards. Or, as is often the case particularly with the larger institutional asset managers, they develop their own proprietary ESG or sustainability uh, metrics and scoring criteria, which means that they need to either gather that information independently or often send their own survey to a company and say, here, if you want BlackRock to invest in you, you got to fill out BlackRock's survey.
0: Okay, that is head spinning. So what is the result then of all that confusion and lack of consistency? I think the
1: fundamental problematic result of all of that is that the same company will score pretty wildly differently um, on what purport to be similar scores. In other words, the ESG score for company X will be very different from rating company one versus rating company two. There's actually a sort of marquee study on this that came out of MIT last year that found amongst the five largest ESG scoring, independent scoring providers, a 0.61 correlation which just for comparisons purposes, uh, the correlation between Moody's and S&P on credit ratings is 0.99. So you'll have the same company that scores very low on one E metric by one rating provider and very high on an E metric by another rating provider. And so all of this just contributes to this like frustration and confusion throughout this ecosystem because there's increasing recognition that this is important, but nobody can agree on what it means and nobody can agree on exactly how to define strong performance versus weak performance. To provide another
0: example, you sent around this report from BlackRock uh, outlining some of the issues in ESG, one being measurement, and they compare two ranking systems, MSCI and Sustainalytics. Uh, and there's this wild gap between how they're ranking
1: utilities, for example. What are we seeing here? Yeah, so this is just a particularly stark example, right, where they they just showed how individual sectors score overall. This is not specific companies, but this is aggregate in a sector um, ranked against other sectors. They're looking at 11 sectors. So according to MSCI, utilities are the number one ranked sector of the 11 uh, on ESG, whereas according to Sustainalytics, they're number 10 out of 11, right? And there's it's not just utilities, they put the consumer discretionary category, MSCI has it as eighth ranked, Sustainalytics has it as number two ranked. There's also just like a million examples of specific companies that you can look at where like, it'll be one company, but it'll have wildly divergent scores um, across different ratings providers. And so that's, that's problematic, I think, for a a number of reasons. But the biggest one in my mind is that, you know, the intent of all of this ESG investing trend is to create a clear signal for corporates, I think, for them to perform better on ESG. But if it's not clear to them which rating system, which independent third party, which data, which metrics, which stories that they're telling resonate and how it all like flows through ultimately to the question that they're supposed to care about, which is are investors investing in me based on this, then it's really hard for them to figure out exactly what they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah, that example is particularly absurd, but it seems like a chronic problem as you've defined it. So this is a very well-meaning investment strategy it's it's nice to see you know hundreds of billions of dollars going into ESG funds but is it
1: I mean are we achieving the outcomes that we're looking for I think that's the question I think you can look at specific um, you know subcategories within ESG and you can see pretty clear progress and climate's a good example of one where there is clear progress there's actually a strong movement for companies to start doing increasingly robust emissions accounting you know, trying to incorporate scope two and scope three emissions in addition to just scope one, setting science-based targets for emissions reductions. So that's, you know, I think there's improvement there. I think you could say the same in, in some of the governance and social categories as well. But I guess my worry is that this whole ESG edifice that is being constructed right now and all of this momentum behind it runs the risk of sort of crumbling if the uh, trust in it by investors in particular ultimately falls apart because nobody can agree upon what they actually mean when they see ESG and how a given company is supposed to act based on the fact that there are all these ESG investors out there. So do we need
0: federal regulators to step in? I mean, is this going to be a top-down
1: fix to make sure that everyone's reporting to the same standards? So there has been a push for that. For sure. And, you know, that's the case, for example, in financial reporting, right? The SEC governs what financial reporting individual companies have to do. And sure, individual investors are going to have a different idea of which metrics that that a company in reports matter to their investment criteria. But at least you know, if you're a public company, these are the things that I have to report to the SEC. And that's not true in an ESG World, So there has been a push for the SEC to step in. The SEC thus far has expressed basically no interest in doing so. Um, That may be a function of who the the current commissioners of the SEC are, and maybe that changes over time. But uh, as it stands today, it doesn't look likely that the SEC is going to step in and set standard reporting. In addition to that, um, to the extent that the federal government is doing anything on ESG at the moment, uh, it's actually quite contrary to that.
0: Are you referring to the Trump administration's efforts to thwart ESG?
1: Yes, that is exactly what I'm referring to. Um, This is actually pretty recent. In June, the uh, Labor Department proposed an update to this law called the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974 that would basically require anyone overseeing a pension fund or a 401k plan which is like a a ton of the capital out there in the markets to always put what they call economic interests ahead of quote-unquote non-pecuniary goals which sounds really wonky but basically means that like you couldn't uh you couldn't include esg criteria because it's defined as You know, being behind economic interests and effectively what they're trying to do, the Labor Department is trying to do is to exclude ESG criteria from any pension fund or 401k. So
0: what are the different scenarios for how this plays out? I mean, under a continued messy scenario, are investors,
1: folks who manage money, are they going to lose faith in ESG? I do think that's the fear. Yeah, and I, I could see it happening. I mean, I think there's a number of Is it a real fear? I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, large investors will probably ultimately have their own criteria always. And so they'll figure out a way to get the data that they need. But there's a an extremely fat and long tail of investors who have to rely on some third party to tell them some score and you know, if trust disappears, then then yeah, I think there's there's a real risk to the whole sector. But I do think there are a number of ways that it could be improved, even in the absence of any kind of like regulatory or federal intervention. And all of them are happening to some degree. It's just kind of early days. One is that, you know, large investors can get together uh, along with some of these third party standards and framework providers and and come to some sort of a consensus around, OK, here's what we can all agree that SASB is the right way to report for example, put all of our weight behind SASB and sort of over time, um, let SASB win out over these other frameworks and we will tell all of our, the companies that we've invested in, all of our portfolio companies that that they, that's all they need to do. You could also, and you will continue to see consolidation amongst the ratings providers. So I said there's 150 of them now, strongly doubt there's going to be 150 of them in five years, right? So how quickly that all shakes out and what it looks like will impact things. And then the third, where I've been spending a lot of time, because I think this is probably the biggest gaping hole in my mind, and transparently thinking about it from an investment perspective, is on the corporate side, because most of what's happening within the land of ESG investing is happening on the investor side, right? This is how do you create ratings for investors to use and all that kind of stuff. But what it's doing is putting this huge burden on corporates, who are the ones who are supposed to change their behavior, Right but they're trying to figure out which standards to report to and which surveys to fill out and how what they do with their actual changes to their ESG performance will impact their share price. And even just like How do they tell their story? If we made a change, where do we need to report it? When? There's actually like a reporting timing issue. If they report it just after the annual cycle for one of these ratings providers, maybe they don't get scored right for the next year and that affects their ability to attract investment. So there's a whole universe of things to be provided to just simplify this whole process for corporates like has been done in financial reporting and has been done in like environmental health and safety and all these other categories. So I think some combination of all those things probably have to happen in order for this to shake out in a way that sends a clear signal with minimal noise to companies to have them perform better on ESG issues. The thing that
0: worries me, bringing this back into the decarbonization framing, is that a lot of companies have really high ESG scores because they don't emit a lot of carbon, not because they're actively decarbonizing. And that seems to be a major problem that needs to be solved as well.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing that is happening is that, you know, this proliferation of ESG scoring and um, and metrics and all that is is making... Folks more sophisticated about it. And so, if you say you are a relatively heavily polluting company now, you can get credit for setting out a clear and aggressive path toward decarbonization. So, you don't automatically get knocked by your historical performance. You should get credit for making a transformation. Similarly, if you are a low emitting company today, but you're sort of doing nothing about um, what should be a relatively easy task of decarbonizing, you should get dinged for that. I think that's starting to happen.
0: So it sounds like if our day jobs don't work out, we can probably just raise some money and start our own ESG rating agency.
1: <laughs> you want to become like the 161st <laughs> ESG rating provider? 160? There's 160 rating firms? Yeah, it is actually something like that. I mean, they don't all have a ton of traction, and some of them are real specific, like we'll track specifically you know, women on corporate boards or something like that, but there's... At least a couple of dozen, you know, cross the board, ESG focused ratings agencies who have customers.
0: Wow, truly is a wild world. Well, Shale, thanks for helping
1: walk us through it. Absolutely. I've been mildly obsessed with ESG, as you could probably tell for the last six months or so. So exciting to be able to talk about it. And I would also say, you know, I'm still in exploratory mode around this to figure out what the solutions are going to be to what I believe to be a emerging set of problems. So anybody who's got a solution I didn't talk about, please get in touch.
0: That's going to do it for the show. That's Shil Khan. He's my co-host. Ingrid Lobet is our senior editor. Sean Marquand mixed the show. I am uh, Shil's co-host and the executive producer of PostScript Audio, which is a collaborator with Green Tech Media on our podcasts. You can find all of us on social media and suggest show ideas or hit us up with your ESG reactions and we'll catch you next week. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. Thanks for being here.